And I had all that time to turn my mic on. Hey, doesn't the stage look great? I see the Jansen family, and we thank you, all five of you, Allie and Leighton. Yeah, give them an applause for their hard work yesterday. And uh, reflecting on it, yesterday as I was here briefly, 17 of the 18 Christmas stages we've had as a church, that's how many, this is the 18th, 17 of them Allie has been the, the, the point leader for. So God bless you. Thank you so much. It's so, so great. Uh, also, just was thinking about the celebration that it was last Sunday, and I wanted to express congratulations to those who, who were baptized, Aubrey and the, the, the students, Aubrey and, and, and Jackson and, and uh, Jaden. So great. Way to go, students. There's others of you that need to take that step, and that is just so awesome, and we're, we're praying for you, and I was praying for you Students, I don't know if you're around or serving upstairs or whatever, but parents pass that along if they're not here. Jaden, uh, just so proud of you, and the adults too. Proud of the adults, Colin and Diane, because it's a, it's a big step, and uh, just so so great that uh, that you that you took the uh, that that awesome step in obedience to Jesus. Got this goatee thing going on, and it's kind of rubbing here. So we'll see how it how it does, Jaden or uh, Jeremiah. Uh, Jaden, maybe that means someday you'll be on the soundboard. I just slipped up there, and yeah. Anyway, uh, church family, I uh, I sometimes remind you that the Word of God and the Bible is the source of everything that we teach. The only source of everything that we, that we teach here at the church. We don't cut out parts that are countercultural, no matter what society might be saying. On, and we don't say that proudly, humbly, humbly use and build our lives and our church on the word of God. And, and our, our commitment is to remain faithful to the, to the clear teaching of the Bible. As Christ followers, it must be. And I mentioned this same thing a few, well, quite a number of weeks ago. And, and then the very next, very next morning after I did that, in our, Miriam and I, our, our Bible reading time, uh, in, in the early morning there, she was reading in Acts. And, and she said, hey, check this verse out. Kind of like you were referring to yesterday, verse 11 of Acts 17. Just, just a point of information. The Bible, or sorry, the, the people of Berea searched the scriptures daily to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Did you know the Apostle Paul was checked up on? Hmm, cool. In other words, it's, it's on you, Christ followers, Eaglemont family, as, as listeners to search the Scripture. And so that means you can't just be listeners. You have to be engaging, as we encourage you to do year by year to do, in the Word of God yourself to, to know God's truth and, and always... What you hear here, the plumb line must be this. And so encourage you to do what those Berean uh, people did. Uh, know God's word, love God's word, and of course all of us obey God's word. Father, open your word to our hearts in these moments and just cause us, Lord, to grow in our love for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we continue in our series, A Walk Through the Gospel of John, the fourth uh, book of the New Testament. If this is kind of new for you, and if it is, if you're engaging online and you're checking this church out and something's going on in your mind and heart about you know, questions you've never had about, uh, about life, about eternity, about life after death, about is there a God, is there a heaven? Like, I, I just, way to go if, if you're 
engaging in that search. And, and keep at it. Keep at it. I commend you. This message today is called Hide and Seek. From John chapter 2, verses 23 is where we're reading from, to all the way to the 15th verse of chapter 3. I don't have all the verses on the screen today, just the reference there. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can open again to John 2, 23 is where we're starting. A New Living Translation, we're reading from that uh, uh, translation today. Or you might have the U version, or if you don't have the U version on your phone, I encourage you to get that free app. John 2, 23. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many people began to trust him, in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. What? No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. Third chapter of John now. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, you can almost hear the whisper tone. He said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man uh, go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected religious teacher and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you, what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about, the, uh, about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man, referring to himself, has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness... So, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. Now, it's quite a passage. don't have time to, to touch on everything that's there, of course, but, I mean, starting in the end of verse, uh, chapter 2 there, some of us, I, I think, probably feel a little bit surprised by these few verses, uh, 23 to 25, especially since they're right you know, set right before this amazing dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus about the new birth, about uh, true faith. Th there were these people who apparently were trusting, it says, in Jesus, but he doesn't trust them. Very interesting, it says there. In the New King James Version of verses 23 and 24, it says, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew people. Huh. 
Isn't that interesting? You ever notice that? British pastor G. Campbell Morgan, who taught at Biola University way back in the early 1900s, he shared some reflections through the Gospel of John, and they're in writing today, of course, with his congregations in both London and Los Angeles. And about these intriguing verses at the end of chapter 2, he made the assessment that the belief of the people here was shallow, that it was based on being uh, being wowed by what Jesus did. He said, he said it this way, the things that were spectacular were all they were interested in. And you know, from my uh, uh, probably fairly narrow observation, but still, uh, I see this sometimes, that, that, that this is still the case today at times, that people chase the spectacular, they begin to chase the miraculous and, and sadly, sometimes I, I think without a, without a heart and a willingness to surrender to Jesus as the God of the universe that He is. And that's, you know, so worthy of the surrender of our lives. You see, the problem is when the healing miracle or the financial miracle or whatever it is uh, becomes the bullseye on the target of our pursuit for God. And, of course, don't get me wrong. We, we believe in, in, in Jesus' almighty power. He can do anything, and he, and he loves to. God can do awesome things. And we trust Him to intervene in our lives in miraculous ways as, as He sees fit, which is sometimes the, the, the tough part for us, right? And, and that's all great as long as our core, as, as long as the core of our trust in Him is rooted in who He is in his character. And, and that, again, that he deserves the full surrender of our lives, first and foremost. In these verses, Jesus knew these people were attracted to him only because of the amazing things that he was doing. Pastor and New Testament professor William Barclay, who passed away in the, in, the, in the 70s, writes about these verses in John 2. He says, Jesus knew that there were many who would have followed him while he continued to produce miracles and signs, but if he started to talk about things like serving and self-denial self or about surrender to the will of God or about picking up their cross, they would have stared at him with blank incomprehension and turned away from him in that moment. And that's not an assumption. That actually happened in Scripture. It's exactly what we see just a few chapters later here in John. John 6, 66. Interesting. I'm not a numerology guy or whatever, but I find that interesting. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Uh, but what's the verse say there? One, among the saddest verses in the Bible, it says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Why? <laughs> Well, again, they were even referred to as disciples here. But they turned away when the expectations of what it meant to be a Christ follower, as Jesus started to describe it, became too heavy, too demanding. They didn't realize, actually, that what Jesus was talking about, if I can put it this way, was a trade up. But it seemed hard, too hard that some of them turned away. So, so sad. 
You see, it's one thing to respond with excitement about a miracle, but quite another to commit ourselves to an ongoing life of surrender to Jesus Christ, which, which he knows is the absolute best way to live. And please take note that John's historical narrative of the life of Jesus here was not, was not discrediting the importance of the signs and the miracles that Jesus did. I mean, look what John wrote right near the end of his uh, letter in John 20, verse 30 and 31. And truly, it says, John wrote this, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in, the, in, the, uh, in this book. But, he says, these are written. Anything about the miracles, these are written. These are recorded for you to read. They're written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, by believing, you may have life in His name. That's the purpose. And so the signs and miracles, they're important, but they're, but they're intended to lead to eternal life in Jesus, not merely to fascination with what He can do. Pastor and author Warren Wiersbe puts it this way in his commentary on John's gospel. He says, people who want his works but not his decisive word over their life can never share in his life. So let's stroll through the first 15 verses of John 3 and, and take note of a few things along the way. Verse 2, Nicodemus says something that we know that you know, most of the other Pharisees probably would not have said, at least certainly not in the hearing of their Pharisee buddies. He said to Jesus, one-on-one, -on -one, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Ah, that's good. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And that could actually biblically be even further uh, expressed, um, even, even more correctly, if I can put it that way, that the, the, the miraculous signs are evidence that you are God. Eh, but there's Nicodemus. It sounds like a great starting place for him. And, and, and Jesus' response is interesting. You notice he, he doesn't even acknowledge the comment or, or try to expand on the parallel between his miracles and who he actually is, God in the flesh. He, he just quickly dives into the direct statement about the need to be born again, is the phrase he uses there. If you want to see God, if you want to know God personally, if you want to experience God in your life, you must be born again. Before we unpack that a little bit, there's a couple of things about the Pharisee, Nicodemus, that we, we should note. Uh, he was likely quite wealthy. Um, we can say this because after Jesus was crucified and died, it was, it was Nicodemus, uh, we learn later in John, John 19, that brought, it says, a heavy load of myrrh and alloys, which would have been very expensive for burial and so forth. So, so it appears that this uh, this conversation in John 3 with Jesus seemed like it, it had an impact on him. And then it's also clear that Nicodemus had a deep commitment. He really did. He had a deep, just misplaced though, but committed. <laughs> the problem was that him, the other Pharisees, came to trust in their, the, the commitment to their works for their 
salvation, and they, and they got entrenched in doing so, so much so that their, their, their practice became um, really far from what God intended the law to be. And example, the primary example probably is the, is, is the Sabbath and, and their approach to the Sabbath and how much trouble you were in eternally if you did any kind of work on the Sabbath. And I'm not, you know, there's a principle there for us, the Sabbath principle that is very, very significant and important. This is another discussion, but so when, when Nick came to Jesus, he was enamored with the signs Jesus was doing, saying that they were evidence that God was with him. And again, Jesus, as, as I said a moment ago, that Jesus seems to just ignore that comment and addresses the primary importance of, uh, of the miracle of new birth. He doesn't use that term, but that's exactly, exactly what it is spiritually. It's a miracle. It's actually the greatest miracle of all. It, it really is. And I think probably like, like many of you, it's the, it's the miracle you, you pray for the most. And if it's not, maybe, maybe it should be. For the people in your life that you know don't know Christ yet. For, for the people where you live, where your kids go to school, in this community or wherever you live, that they would come to know Jesus. As again this morning was the case as I drive some of the roads early Sunday morning just praying, God, I don't know how you want to do it, but bring people to the knowledge, not just here, but here relationally with you, God. You love them most. You want them in your eternal family. Help us as individuals, as, as, as believers, as, as, as salt and light in this dark world, in this broken world, to be what you want us to be so that, that, that this message of your good news uh, and, and forgiveness and salvation and grace can be realized and experienced by people who right now, uh, that, that's not even on their radar. Or maybe it is. And if it is, I'm praying into that. You know, you just the, the praying for the miracle of salvation of people. We, we must, church, we must be praying that. Verse 2, it gives the detail that Nicodemus came after dark. You notice that you know, many of you know this story. And that could have been because he didn't want any of his Pharisee buddies to see him engaging in this conversation with this radical rabbi, Jesus, right? Or it could have also been because in that conversation, he he wanted Jesus all to himself. He he knew this was an important conversation. He didn't want any interruptions. So he went at night when the crowd that usually was following him in the day wasn't wasn't there. Both of these are are plausible uh, possibilities. Spiritually speaking, Nick was in the dark. He was in the dark, even though he was a religious leader. We saw that from Jesus' lips, right? And sadly, there's nothing in this narrative that indicates that he came to see the truth about Jesus here, or that he received this this new birth that Jesus described to him. It appears that Nick at the time, at this time anyway, just couldn't get his mind around the idea of what what Jesus was saying when he used this phrase, uh, born again. Born again. It's the only place in the New Testament where, where this phrase is used, but it's a good one, and Jesus describes it a little bit. Sadly, those two words are, you know, sometimes used by, by some as a derogatory term. You know, they're, yeah, there's some crazies. Those born agains. There go those born agains. Well, maybe some of them are obnoxious. 
But, but, but Jesus want, doesn't want his followers to be, to, to be that, of course. The born-again idea was clearly difficult for Nick to understand in this, in this passage, as, as we see in verse 4, where he said, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And he probably said it with a bit of a cringe on his face. Nick was thinking only, obviously, in physical terms. But Jesus was describing a spiritual reality, an experience that was real and powerful. This idea of being born anew. I mean, it runs throughout the whole of the New Testament. If you know the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, born anew by God's great mercy. Romans 6, Paul speaks of dying with Christ and then rising to new life. And then Galatians 6, in Christ there is a new creation. This spiritual rebirth is it's just core, and it's so central to the message of the New Testament. And then Jesus goes on to describe this new birth more specifically in that it comes about as we are born, he says, of water and the Spirit. Water is a symbol of cleansing. And when Jesus takes possession of our lives, when, when we choose to surrender to Him, the sins of our past are cleansed, forgiven, forgotten. doesn't mean God has a bad memory. It just means He never chooses to pull that stuff up and shake it in your face ever again. And if you feel that, that type of shame after your sin is forgiven by your own confession, it's not God. Your spiritual enemy, the devil, will use that often. So don't let him. Don't let him. And then the Spirit, the capital S, the Holy Spirit of God, is the source of the power that brings the miracle of regeneration and inner change into our lives that, that we could just never bring about on our own efforts, by our own work. Never. <laughs> You've heard me say before, and I know... Those of you that know God's grace, aren't you glad that that's not the case? Couldn't do it. Can't do it. If anyone knew about effort and, and trying to earn salvation, it was a, it was a Pharisee. And this, this teacher of the Jews, Nicodemus, knew the facts as they were recorded in the Old Testament Scripture. But he could not understand the spiritual truth that Jesus was explaining about about how to actually receive eternal salvation and complete forgiveness. And Jesus put his finger on this lack of understanding in verse 10. Jesus, you know, I like to hear the tone, right? It's like our text messages. You, you can't catch the tone, and they can be misunderstood. But I do think there was a little bit of, come on, man, from Jesus to Nick here. He said, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and, you, and yet you don't understand these things? So sad. A man of, of, of deep religious, yeah, religious is not necessarily relationship with Jesus Christ, right? But here, here a man of deep religious knowledge and practice and yet profound spiritual blindness, actually. Then Jesus addresses the reality that we may not understand. He uses wind as, an, as an, a metaphor, an example. Um, we may not understand how the wind works, but we can certainly see what it does. We can see evidence of its reality. How, how about that, Nicodemus? And we do, right? We, we know 
The power of wind, tornadoes, display that as we watch the news. Or those of you that are old enough to remember the, the big tornado that, that ripped through, uh, ferociously went th- from, from south to north uh, on the east side of Edmonton in 1987. I still remember from the Sherwood Park Church lobby where I was youth pastor at that, looking over, not knowing what was going on, and the, but the sky, I'd never, I'd never seen the sky and the clouds and the color of what was going on there. And of course, we found out later, the power of the wind, powerful thing. As a young adult, I rode my 10-speed one particular Saturday with a couple of friends from Sherwood Park to our church camp at that was on the, the, the north side of, of uh, Sylvan Lake. Actually, they left me at Leduc and ended up staying with some relatives there. So I was on my own when I turned west into the wind that last, whatever it was, 20 or 25 minutes. And, uh, you know, up to that point, the three of us had been doing the slipstream thing. You know, somebody is kind of like the geese. And uh, that was very helpful. But uh, I remember the power of the wind and how frustrated it made me and how my legs burned. The the wind is a powerful thing. I I, I did not see the wind, but I felt the evidence of it. I knew it was there because I felt its effect. Well, similarly, we, we, we may not know how the Spirit, capital S, works, but we can see the effect of the Spirit of God upon human lives as people surrender their hearts and minds to Him. And not comprehending something from, from God fully is no excuse for refusing to surrender to Him. I mean, there are, there, there are many things, right, that we don't fully Understand things, even things that we, we use every day and, and not know how they work. You know, few of us probably really understand uh, electricity, how it works, or television, how, how that works. We just turn, well, turn, turn the button on, you know, with the rabbit ears. You know, I'm reverting back to my young adult years on that 10-speed. But uh, there, there's a little remote control thing. Makes it a lot easier. You can actually stay in the couch and not have to get up to change the channel. It's amazing. Anyway. Um, but many of us have, have very little knowledge of how, uh, how our vehicle is propelled down, down the freeway. Ask Orlando or Ryan if you want insight into that. However, our lack of understanding of these things does not prevent us from from using them, from getting behind the wheel. Well, we may not understand exactly how the Spirit works in human lives, but we can see the evidence of of broken people made whole. We can see sinful people who are empowered outside of themselves, but very much empowered. This is many of you to live God-honoring lives. Or people previously enslaved and, and trapped in sin and addictions made free. Those chains just fall off. <laughs> Don't understand. But powerful nonetheless as we surrender. 
It's obviously important to intellectually understand biblical truth. You know that from me already about who God is, about who we are. I mean, as best we can, right? But if we do not have a vital experience in the power of the Holy Spirit that moves us forward and takes us deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ, all of the intellectual understanding is really quite useless. So my Christian friends, even though you may not fully understand how the Holy Spirit works, be open to Him. And I say Him, not it. The Holy Spirit is a person. Allow Him to work in your life as He sees fit for the honor of Jesus in and through your life. And those of you who are are spiritually seeking, trying to figure this out. Don't, don't, don't allow the fact that you don't fully comprehend God and how He works. Uh, don't let that keep you stuck in a place of, of not coming to know and experience Him in your life personally by surrendering to Him and trusting Him. Please don't let that happen. The very best thing you can do is place your trust in Him as the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. And John 3, of course, is really, I would say, the ultimate passage. And we're going to hear more from Pastor John a couple of Sundays from now. If you get to the very next verse, you know it, John 3.16. So many of you know that, most of you. But John 3 is the ultimate passage in the Bible on the need to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. This, this new birth that the Spirit of God brings to our lives is not simply... It's not simply having a facelift or kind of retweaking our, our New Year's resolutions to be a better person. No, no. Je- Jesus, is, Jesus is talking about more than He's talking about dying and being born again, born anew. It's powerful. Dying to self, dying to my own will, dying to my sin nature and my sin nature dying. Not that it won't ever raise its ugly head sometimes, but there's forgiveness, right? Dying so that new life can take its place. It's phenomenal. It's the gift of eternal life from God that moves us from death to life, from darkness to light, from enslavement to sin to freedom. And again, so many of you know this. Because you've surrendered your life to God. And if you haven't, I pray that today you will. And then we get to the last couple of verses of the chapter 3, or of our passage today. Verse 14, 15, we see snake on the pole. Some of you might, with, you know, if you weren't aware of this, like, what is going on? Ah, it is, it is interesting. And again, we don't have time to unpack the story from the Old Testament. But, I mean, snakes, not my favorite animal by any stretch. But actually, over the years, some of you might have been here some years ago where I, I, I borrowed a snake, a boa constrictor, from one of the RCMP officers in town. I'm chaplain of the detachment, so she trusted me. And uh, right on the stage, and I did this once before a previous church, preaching about, you guessed it, Garden of Eden, right? And uh, had this, this snake. I remember the, the old church, there was this, you know, tough construction guy. He says, if you would have walked down the aisle to me, I would have bolted out the door. And, uh, but, you know, snakes, not, not 
people's most times favorite animal. I, I remember on our honeymoon, uh, we were in Spain, and we took a day trip across the water to Morocco, and there was this guy with a, a snake in a little basket, and he would not let go of uh, his grip uh, just behind the, the, the head of the snake. It's not a fairly skinny snake, but okay, good chance this is poisonous if he's not let. He put it on my neck, held it, held it, held it, but, you know, dumb tourist, five bucks, get a picture. I mean, we've, we've, we've looked at that picture at least once since that time. Just, just great, great memories. Uh, it was, honeymoon. <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, it, it, I look at it now, it's like, Ooh, whoa, whoa, what did I have around my neck? Um, but yeah, snakes, ugh, yeah, most of us are like, eh. um, but the symbol of the snake has, has been used in many cultures over many thousands of years. Of course, again, the snake in the Garden of Eden, and you know, there's different religions or cults that have different representations and what have you, but uh, from, from poetry to art to, to, to medicine, the figure of the snake has, has been utilized, right, to this day. Verse 14 and 15 says, As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, son of man also must be lifted up. A, a, a reference, son of man, to Christ in his humanity. 100% God, 100% man. And so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, Nicodemus would have known about this historical event that Jesus was referring to, and you can read it in Numbers 21. We don't have time, but uh, during, during their wandering wilderness, the, the Israelites grumbled against God and Moses, and, uh, and poisonous snakes came. Well, that was a result, and some were dying and actually killing many. Uh, but, but then God gave uh, Moses the remedy. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a wild story for sure. Yeah, but, but Moses was to make a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole and hold it up for people to look at. And when they looked at that uh, serpent on the pole, they, they would live. It, it, it's interesting that to this day, again, the, the serpent entwined on the pole, right? Sign of, of healing used in many medical organizations. And th this is the only place in the New Testament where the bronze serpent is referred to. And it's, it's, it's what's called a, a, a type that points to the death of Jesus and in a similar way, if people look to Jesus on the cross, dying for them and place their faith in Him, He becomes the source of their salvation and spiritual healing. Every human being has been smitten, bitten, smitten the right word, <laughs> by the disease of sin. We're born with a sin nature. The Bible makes that clear, and our human experience verifies this truth. Not, not hard to see that either in our lives, right? Even as little kids. And the only cure is looking to Jesus, lifted up on the cross as He died for us and took upon Himself the penalty of sin that was ours. And what John is saying is that, that, that God did. He put the punishment for our sin upon Jesus. The judgment, God's righteous, perfect, justifiable judgment for our sin put on Jesus. Wow. Huh. Have you made the trade? Have you, have you made the trade? Your sin for Christ's righteousness that makes us acceptable to God, the judge of the universe. 
And when we look at him hanging on the cross, lifted up for us, we're looking at the, we're looking at the brutal result of the, of, of the, the sin in, in which we were all stuck or were stuck. And as we gaze on Jesus on the cross, we're also seeing what God was willing to do about it. It's huge. And we are the incredibly blessed recipients of the grace of God in the sacrifice of His perfect life. Because nothing but perfection will meet the demand, will pay the debt. And so I could never, you could never do it on your own, on my own. And so Jesus stepped in as we celebrated in communion a moment ago. He died so we wouldn't have to. And maybe today is the day when you say, God, I surrender to you. You, you may have been going to church all your life, and you're old like me, or not. Or this is your first time hearing this message. First time in a gathering like this. First time engaging on, on, online on a live stream church thing. How did I end up here? <laughs> God wants you here. God had you here. He's in control. And he loves you. The father sent his son, and the son went willingly to the cross to be lifted up and take upon himself the punishment for sin that was yours and mine. He died so I wouldn't have to, so I could live, you could live eternally as I trust him to forgive my sin and lead my life. If you want to say, Jesus, I want to be a follower of yours. I turn from my sin. I ask your forgiveness. I give you my life, my eternity, my future, everything. My life is yours. I surrender to you today. We would love to hear about that. And there's a QR code. If that's your desire and that's your prayer right now, from your own heart, from your own lips, then scan the code, fill in the I'm new card, let us know. We just want to pray for you. We want to answer questions if you have them. We won't harass you, but we want to give you resources that can help you in this, what might be for you a, a, a new relationship, and that's exactly what it is with the creator of the universe. Pray with me. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word and for the simplicity in yet the amazing reality of what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus. And Lord, for those that are right now making that commitment, and they, they, they would say something like, God, I surrender to you. I turn from my sin. I ask your forgiveness. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior, my forgiver, my leader, my best friend that you want to be. Help me to love you and follow you. Show me how in the community of, with other Christ followers, show me how Lead me, guide me. Lead me in this life and into the next for all eternity, which I can't even comprehend. But thank you for that gift of eternal life that I receive now by faith because of what you did on the cross for me, Lord Jesus. I receive it in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you. If you prayed that prayer, I, I, I really ask you, encourage you, to fill out the I'm new card. Just let us know. We, we want to be excited with you. Um, 
Or again, the QR code, you're online, the QR code there will take you to that same form that you can just let us know that you've made that commitment to Christ today. God bless you.